Hour number two, Canuck Central in the Kintec studio. We've got Ryan Clark, ESPN NHL writer, coming up. Aura Health Market is Langley's new locally owned health food store. Meet Yannick Hansen this Sunday between 12 and 2 p.m. at Aura's grand opening. Giveaways, live music, samples, face painting, and much more. Check it out this Sunday between 12 and 2. Yannick Hansen will be there. And uh, if you go see it, uh, ask Yannick when he's making his return to Canuck Central, please, because uh, he's just been he's been MIA so far. Well, doesn't he start when the season begins? Yeah, he does. Okay. You worried me for a second. <laughs> I thought Josh was on top of it. Yannick, will, uh, he will be back and uh, will be joining us every single Friday during the course of the season when that season does begin. So uh, we'll get some... I mean, it's one of my favorite segments every single week when Yannick just comes out and pretty much, well, because he's, I mean, it's warranted it the last couple of years, drags the team yes, uh, for how they've been playing. Uh, speaking of dragging the Vancouver Canucks, Ryan Clark, ESPN <laughs> NHL writer uh, with their ESPN power rankings with the best three-year outlook. Vancouver is second last. Ryan, you need to explain yourself. <laughs> Well, this was something that was done as like a vote. So what we did is everyone who covers hockey to ESPN. Okay, fair enough. Set of criteria that's voted upon. So it's looking at things like what is the cap situation going to look like over the next few years, which for the Canucks, there's, there's challenges, undoubtedly. Farm system is another thing that comes up, which for the Canucks, there's also been challenges there. Um, and so when you look at the Canucks' outlook for what the future could be, there's a series of questions that they've got to answer, especially when you think about the number of teams that have taken the blueprint of let's use the draft to build out the future and go from there. And the Canucks have done or have tried to do just that. You think about some of the talent that's come through in the likes of Vice Pedersen, Quinn Hughes, Bo Horvat, uh, Jared McCann, Thatcher Dimko, Brock Besser. Those are all players that have had varying degrees of success. In the case of Jared McCann, he was gone after one season. Bo Horvat was just traded last year and it's just become this sort of conversation with the Canucks of you can see where they've had talent you can see where they've been able to really go out and do some things but yet the question remains when is it all going to sort of come together for them so when it comes to the rankings like it was just again the set of criteria that we looked at that we voted upon comparing and contrasting from other teams in the league and that's how the Canucks ended up in their current position uh it, it is it is totally fair i mean the canucks haven't given us uh, a whole lot to cheer about uh but you know how it can be with these power rankings uh, it always uh, brings up conversation i guess the, the the biggest thing about this is um you know i i would think of a team that has a poor three-year outlook to be one that has some older players that is kind of aging out of its core and while I very much have some very real concerns about where the Canucks are headed, it's still Elias Pettersson, Quinn Hughes, Thatcher Demko. You have a spine like that. And to me, that, that has a lot of promise. Well, it's something that it, it should have promised, but at the same time, it's just one of those questions of, but how else do you continue to build around it? And so when you look at the Canucks cap situation as of right now, yes, you guys, J.T. Miller signed long-term. You're going to get a new deal for Pedersen done, presumably, um, at, at, at some point. And, yes, you've got pieces around them. But then it's a question of what goes on in the next two years. What happens with Brock Besser? That's been a question 
people have asked, because Minko will have two years on his deal, um, as well, currently now two years on his deal. Uh, Anthony Beauvillier becomes a UFA. Teddy Bluger becomes a UFA. Who's to say that if the Canucks aren't in the playoff position, those might not be players, especially Teddy Bluger, that teams may try to go get, because you saw what Bluger did for the Vegas Golden Knights last season as they won the Stanley Cup. And then when you look at the team's current defense situation, Tyler Myers, last year of his deal. Phil Bronick, of course, RFA. Ian Coles, last, well, only year of his deal. And he's someone that, again, veteran player, has won cups. If you're not in a playoff position, does a team look to make a move for him? And then you use that trade to get draft capital. That Irwin's a UFA. Jackson Rathbone, RFA. Casey DeSmith's a UFA. Another situation. So, again, it's just like these are all these questions with this team where it's like, yes, you have a spine. But when you look at the contract situation set up over the next two years, especially with the UFAs, it's one in which you can see the blueprint for the Canucks that makes you say, you can see where they could turn this roster over rather quickly. But at the same time, what will that look like? Because, again, that's been the big question with the Vancouver Canucks is for all the reasons you've just mentioned with the different talent that they've been able to, to, to develop from within to the different talent that they've been able to get elsewhere, you can see the, the, the promise. But, again, it just it's sort of – when will it work for the Canucks? I think uh, you kind of nailed the is the promise that hasn't been actualized yet by these guys. And the reality is, you know, Pedersen's moving on to his third contract. So there's a premium being paid now for your best players, which is fine as long as they perform and they need them to perform. But once you sign Heronic and Pedersen to a contract extension, then a lot of your cap space is gone. So when you're looking at these rankings, for instance, I understand why the Canucks would be ranked lower because you look at the prospect system and say, well, who's ready to step in and fill those roles to, to elevate the team? And that's going to be the difference maker for this organization and others ultimately it's do you have enough young cheap talent coming in that can make a difference and supplement your core players and when you haven't had a ton of draft picks the past few years with how many this team has traded away I can understand why it kind of comes in there but isn't that ultimately the key for all these teams is you're gonna have to pay your star players do you have enough secondary talent coming coming through your pipeline that can be cheap and controllable well, that and one other thing to point out, too. It, it, it's not as big of a hit this year, but going forward, of course, the Oliver ekman Larson buyout. That's another thing to throw out. Now, as for answering that question, yes, this is the key in terms of trying to develop players. And it doesn't matter where you're at in your team's current stage. You could be in your championship window trying to get to a championship window or in a complete rebuilding phase. Everyone's always looking at how do you make the most out of prospects just for all the reasons that we've mentioned in terms of cap, but also it's just, again, it's talent, but if you're the Canucks, it seems like that's one of the reasons where you've had some significant troubles. And, you know, it's interesting because when you think about things like support staff and so on and so forth, we think about how big of a deal it was to see someone like Judd Brackett leave and you see what he's done with the Minnesota Wild. And when you look at the way the Wild have been constructed and what they've done with, with the youth, and not only just youth, but drafting and development, it seems like every six months you're hearing something or someone about the Minnesota Wild in terms of what they're doing with their youth movement. Matthew Boldy, of course, is a name that keeps coming up. They think Marco Rossi can make the team this year now that he seems to be fully healthy as well. Connor DeWar is another young player that they've drafted from within. That, that's a guy that they feel really good about. Of course, there's Brock Faber as well. And there's the young goalie, Jesper Wallstead, who they think can be one of the players of the future. And you're seeing that. And that's the thing is with the Canucks, if you're them or a team in their situation, that's what you're trying to get to is get to that point. And how you do that, it's so hard to say because, again, when you look at teams that win in the NHL, 
everyone's formula is so different. Like Vegas has done it with a win at all cost mentality. And plus they're just now starting to tap into a farm system, which is going to be crucial for them given their cap situation coming up this upcoming off season, where both Jonathan Marcius Owen, Chandler Stevenson, their consummate trophy winner, as well as an all-star. Those are two players that are going to be coming available and it's going to be a tough financial decision to make. So that's one way of going about it. We've seen Tampa have to get extremely creative and not only that, but when you think about how they rebuilt, it was their farm system. But yet, if you look at the past few years, yes, they've moved players along, which is how they've been able to stay competitive. But there's going to come a point where the bill will come due in the sense of, do you have the prospects that can help you rebuild things? Or even if you look at a team like Colorado, where, yes, the conversation with them has been their team that's been built from within. And while that's true, when you look at what they've done in the last few years to get secondary offense, a lot of it has come from the outside. Andre Burakowski, Nazem Kaji, Arturi Lekinen, Valeri Nichushkin. And now when you look at this year's group with Ryan Johansson, Ross Colton, Miles Wood, Jonathan Drouin, these were all players that were brought in from the outside. So, yes, it's about building around the core and, and trying to get prospects, but it's also about how do you manage your draft capital as well as your cap space in order to supplement areas where there have been concerns. You know, uh, part of the, the, the evaluation was on, uh, you know, the, the front office and, and the coaching setup. And, you know, it's still relatively new with Jim Rutherford as president and, and Patrick Alvine as GM. Rick Tockett just coming in as coach in the latter part of last season, as we know. But that's something, you know, although Jim Benning was around for a very long time, you know, the Canucks are very, like, there hasn't been a ton of stability uh, in this market, uh, especially over the last couple of years. And I, I think this is the big play that, you know, comes in here for the Canucks is we still don't have a ton to go on with Patrick Alvine and company. And if this works out, that's probably what they need the most. Like he's really got to have a ton of success in the next couple of big moves that he makes. Well, it, that appears to be the case, but then again, it all depends upon how you define success. Is it moving cap space? Is it getting extra draft capital to restock a farm system? Is it getting some big name players? Because again, we looked a lot at last year with, with the Bo Horvat trade. That was a trade that not only allows Canucks to free up cap space, of course, but you're able to get a first round pick and some other things on top of Anthony Pavillier, a player who can help you right away. And it was a move that in, in that vacuum, was, it was heralded by quite a few people. But then you move on from that first-round pick to go get Philip Roenick, and it's something that sent and created a lot of mixed messages from people. On one hand, it gives you a defenseman who can play right away with a cap hit at 4.4 when he's healthy. But on the other, it's like, well, you just sacrificed a first-round pick, which who's to say what that could be? And it's that whole argument of like, do you take what's proven in Philip Roenick or do you take a little bit of the mystery of the first rounder with the thought that maybe this could pay off? So again, it's really hard to say, but you're right. When it comes to sort of what has to happen for this front office, like you look at this team right now and, and yes, it feels like we've said this a lot, whether it be on radio or in passing or even just social with the Canucks, there is this middle ground with them where you look at them and you see potentially what they could be, but you also say, what could they be? And when you look at their current draft class situation, well, draft capital situation, it looks like that of a team that thinks it could compete for the playoffs. And, and, and what I mean by that is you still have all your first rounders available. Sure, you're missing your second rounder for this year, your third rounder for next year, your seventh rounder for 2026. 
So it, there's going to be assets there to play with. But on the flip side, if they're this team that's genuinely in need, which in areas they are, you would think there would be more draft capital, maybe not to the level of like a Chicago or a San Jose, but to the level of a team that says, hey, look, if there are deficiencies, you can use that capital to go supplement where you're having issues. And again, that's just it with the Canucks. It's like in some ways you can see it, some ways you can't. But then when you compare their situations to other teams around the league, it's why they've ended up where they are, which is this discussion of when is it going to work out. Yeah, I mean, the question is, I mean, I do agree with that. I would say, however, though, like the, the notion, like, they clearly can't rebuild and hold on to Pedersen, Hughes, and Demko long-term. I, there's just no world you can rebuild. So if you're looking at, you know, taking that draft pick and building that out long-term, then we're talking about a big, big-time rebuild. So I don't mind them flipping for a guy like Ronick, who's in his mid-20s. The question is, those trades pay, play, paying off ultimately? I think that's what it comes down to, because they're cl- clearly trying to do the retool on a fly here and try to improve the team and marginally move forward. And to be fair, I mean, that's kind of what Dallas did. But the thing with Dallas was they really started hitting some draft picks, and that made a big difference for them in terms of taking that step from a couple of years ago when it seemed like they were kind of really falling off and trailing behind some other organizations. So I would say they have pretty much established that their direction is building on what they have. Well, it's building, but so what you just said about the stars is an interesting point. Because yes, it's the draft picks, of course, being that one draft twenty seventeen mm-hmm. to get Mira Heiskin and Jason Robertson, Jake Ottinger, which teams say, "Hey, let's try to draft at least one franchise cornerstone." <laughs> if you're lucky, they drafted three in one draft. And of course, you look at what they've done with Rope Hence and 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 this laundry list of players they keep bringing up, guys like Wyatt Johnston, Ty Delandry, but also it's and, and Thomas Harley's another one. But then it is the moves that they made in free agency, which, of course, one of the big ones being Joe Pavelski. So, again, it's an example of how, like, if you're trying to make this all work, you've got to be savvy not only about what you do with your farm system, but what you do with your cap space. And in terms of rebuilding on the fly, like, it's one of those things where we say that, but how easy is it to pull off with the Stars? You think about the conversation they were in last year, which was, is this a team that can score goals? Because we saw what happened against the Calgary Flames. And then, yes, they were able to score goals. It's why they went to the Western Conference Final. But in terms of rebuilding on the fly, it's sort of what does that rebuild look like? Because let's pick three teams that are in the Western Conference alone going through a similar situation. The Calgary Flames, the Nashville Predators, and the Winnipeg Jets. The Calgary Flames were not that far off from going into the playoffs last year. And now it seems like they are players who are going to be deciding upon their future. And this season is going to be so telling for the Flames in terms of what the direction is going to be going forward. The Nashville Predators, with the moves they made in the offseason, you could see where the Predators, especially after falling short last year, maybe that's a team that gets into the playoffs this year. Maybe it's a team that doesn't and, and, and adds to the future. But either way, you can see a vision of where they're going. And then with the Jets, they moved on from Pierre-Luc Dubois. They get players that are going to help them now and in pieces they feel they can help them in the future. But then when you look at the situation with Mark Shifley and Connor Hellebuck, again, it's kind of the, the million-dollar question, or I guess if you combine their cap hits, more like north of $12 million question right. of what is going to happen with those two in addition to Brendan Dylan, Dylan DeMello, and, and, and you know, Nita Ryder, who's also UFA. But again, there's players there for the future, and there's going to be counties that you can use, whether it's in free agency or you move on from those players at the deadline if you feel you're not to the playoffs. This all amounts to this. With those three teams, there's all sorts of different hypotheticals you can look at. And for the Canucks, it's how do you find a way to get into those hypotheticals, whereas if right now it seems like the challenge with the Canucks is where do you go from here? 
Ryan Clark joining us. So uh, at the top of the list, uh, the New Jersey Devils, it's uh, not hard to see um, why there is so much optimism around the Devils over the next three years. All the contracts they've locked in at uh, what will you know, certainly age well for Jack Hughes and Nico Heischer and, and some others. But I guess, I guess what did the Devils do to get here? Was it simply the, the patience that new ownership brought when they took over the team in the late, uh, you know, I guess it was 2018 or 2017 that Harrison Blitzer took over? It seems like, you know, that that to me is is a very real part of the conversation. Do you have an owner that's going to be patient enough to sit through what might be a very long rebuild? It's, it's patience, but it's an amalgamation of a bunch of different things. The first is it's the aggressiveness to go out and get Timo Meyer. Yeah. That's, that's one reason, and not only to get him, but take on the freight of an $8.8 million contract for several years and still say, you're not done. It's but, but they were the also patient enough. Sorry to interrupt, but they were also patient enough to wait till like it was obvious, like, hey, we need a piece that can really put us over the top now. Well, absolutely, and, and that's the thing is, how many times have we seen teams where people think, are they ready for that piece? It, it, it was the joke when I covered the Avalanche called, like, when are they going to make the Marion Hosa move? And it's like, people, like, it takes time to get to the Marion Hosa move. Like, you've got to have everything work out. And with the Devils, like, this was that with Timo Meyer. But then it was sort of, how did they work the draft? Like, you get Nico Heischer, you win the lottery and get Jack Hughes. That sets you up down the middle for a really long time. Jesper Brad is another player that you go out and you get, but then again, it's these other trades. Like We've, of course, yet to see how Tyler Toffoli is going to work out, but for a guy who's on a one-year deal that was a leading scorer for the Flames, that's another piece to go get. It's the moves you make in free agency to go get Andre Palat, but then it's other things that they did too. They were aggressive with what happened with Dougie Hamilton. They were aggressive with John Marino. The Jonas Siegenthaler trade, it's funny because like he was a player that people thought the Caps were going to lose in the expansion draft. The Devils go out and get him, and look how that has turned out. And, of course, there's another young draft pick in Luke Hughes that they were able to go get who they think can be their puck mover of the future. You look at what they've done in that. Vitek Vanacek was a player who people thought was going to stick with the Kraken after the expansion draft. They get Philip Grubauer in free agency. Vitek Vanacek, of course, moves on to D.C., eventually goes to the Devils, look how that's turned out, where Tira Schmidt was a guy that they've drafted. And so this is all to say that in the, the context of this conversation, it's an ownership group that was patient with building this team, that was patient with Lindy Ruff, especially with how last year started and how it turned out to be, as well as how you construct a roster, which is they did it through trades, they did it through draft, and they did it through free agency. Uh, Ryan, uh, we have uh, listeners that both agree and disagree with uh, some of the points uh, we've been making here on the Vancouver Canucks, but uh, that's the beauty of these lists, right? Uh, We appreciate your time and your insights. Thanks so much for this. Ain't no problem. Thanks for having me. Uh, There is uh, Ryan Clark, ESPN writer, uh, joining us. And Canucks 31st, some listeners uh, like uh, Derek in the Ridge being brutally honest about the state of the Canucks as a franchise is both right and sobering for the Canucks fan base and Mike in the Valley. Um, not so much. Uh, trying to justify <laughs> the Nucks ranking three years out is laughable. So, you know, you're going to get both ends of the spectrum. It it did seem low to me simply because, hey, you've got Patterson, Hughes, and Demko. You have the makings of what could be a very good team. But there's, of course, a lot of factors that are 
also holding the Canucks back from being a true Stanley Cup contender, which we know. And when it comes to these types of lists and organizational rankings, anytime you start putting in, you know, evaluating uh, management and coaching staff and trying to put a big, and it was, it's like 25% that. Yeah. And the reputation around Canucks management the past little while has not been positive. Yeah. How much does that swing if there's a different reputation around management? Right. You know, and then all of a sudden it swings up. That's part of it. And the other part of it, I think, is just credibility-wise with this team the last little bit. You're going to have people be low on it. And I, I do think because the prospect pool is thin compared to other teams, and they've had a bigger influx the past year or so, that it's a bit more unknown about how things go. Ultimately, I look at other teams in their prospect pools, they clearly have better players. But you know what matters? Can you get three guys to, to show up? You know, yeah. and sometimes you see prospect pools that aren't that big have two or three guys that develop, like Dallas Stars. And I'm not saying go and try to be like Dallas. They still picked Miro Heiskin in the top five. Like we're talking about a high draft pick, obviously, and these other players that did really well on getting. But it, to me, it comes down to do you have, can, can you turn something out of Aturatu here, mm-hmm. right? Can you turn a, can you create a top four defenseman? And can a Lekari Mackey type be a player for you? You're putting a lot on your top prospects in this organization, Willander, Lekaramaki, and Aturatu, but that's kind of where you're at. And if it's not them, somebody else has to emerge. But that's, to me, going to be the question for this Canucks organization. And if two or three of those guys emerge, all of a sudden you'll see their rankings move up too. Well, even, um, so just looking at the list here a little bit, teams like Philadelphia, St. Louis, um, San Jose is ahead of the Canucks. The Islanders are ahead of the Canucks. See, draft picks and prospects have more value in these types of rankings. And also those teams have more cap space the next few years. But also three-year outlook. Like what worlds are Philadelphia or San Jose having more success than... I mean, it might be the same amount of success if they miss the playoffs all three years, but you know what I'm saying? No, like the, I don't, the Canucks I don't, are, are more realistically at least being a playoff team in the next three seasons. I don't disagree with that. And But I, what I do think when you weigh these things, there's a lot of value being put towards prospects and, right. and draft picks and, and having cap space. But having those things does not mean it's going to be actualized into having success. Also, Vancouver... We don't know what's going to happen after this year. Hopefully it's a good year if not. But I mean, how many years have we been looking at this team and saying, yeah, they're ready to take a step and they don't? Yes. You know, so it's, it's kind of like you make your own bed. You can, you're not going to have credibility around the organization as a core when all you've done is falter year in and year out. So that's also going to take a hit on how people view this collection of players, even the core players here. And honestly, like these lists, they are what they are. I wouldn't get too worked up, worked up about them. But the reality is the Canucks have a thin prospect pool and they're going to have to find some diamonds in a rough. And the acumen of their management team matters greatly and then being able to pull this off. And have you seen enough to be sold by management? A lot of people say no. Some are seeing some positives, but that's what it's going to come down to. And when you're not getting big points for your prospect pool, you're not getting big points for your for your coaching slash management team. That's that's where things are at. And hopefully this year changes some narratives. It's Dan Richo and Satyar Shah. So uh, a little bit of an interesting thought process there on uh, the Canucks being so far down the list as far as their three-year outlook goes. But uh, they are ahead of the Calgary Flames. So 10 nothing loss or not, at least they have that. Uh, we have lots to get to with the Canucks tomorrow as well as they'll have a big game against the 
Edmonton Oilers continuing their preseason. We'll have pregame and everything else here on the station to get you ready for that. You are listening to Canuck Central. Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Vancouver sports fans. Halford and Brough in the morning. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.